Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Mizell. Phil McCarnell, welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So uh, I, I, I'm going to give a little bit of an intro. I don't actually have the best way to introduce you other than to tell people that hands down, you are my single favorite speaker uh, on the planet. And uh, every time you speak, it like touches me in a way and moves me. And so uh, we had the great, great pleasure of having Phil speak at the very first Less Doing Live, which was back in 2015. Uh, and just, again, it's really, it's really hard to, I think it's very hard to explain a gift, right? Which is, which is, a, I think, a, a fair uh, sur- summary of what you do. So when people ask you what you do, let's start with that. What do you tell them? So this has been something that has tormented me tremendously. And it's something I've begun to just let go of because it's kind of pissed me off so much. And, and when you're surrounded by people who you love and respect, who tell you, you have to have the perfect intro or the elevator speech. And I get it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to have a go with Clay Bear, for example, who I, I have immense respect for. I get it. The challenge is that it's not a five-step system to success or five-step system to happiness or fulfillment, I meet people where they're at and everyone's in a different place. So some people come to me and they say, I want to build a business. Um, I'm not a business, traditional business coach. Um, And what I find out is actually the biggest work they need to do is how they are as a father, how they are with their husband. And when we work on that stuff, everything off the ice to some extent, ironically, what happens when they're on the ice, in, in other words, when they're in their business starts to grow. They start to see opportunities and they start to see ways in which they can grow their business and make more money if that's what one of their goals are. So in other words, I meet people where they're at. So people call me a life coach. People call me a coach. People call me a gifted individual. Some call call me a complete and utter pain in the ass and everything in between. I make people cry apparently, but I'm not that good. I cannot make people cry. They cry because I create the space to allow the emotion to emerge. So I don't have, I don't have the perfect intro, if that makes any sense. I just don't. Yeah. No, and that and that's, that's that's great. You know, it's one of those things where you have to experience it. I, I would say, and one of the reasons why you know what what you just said and why I feel so aligned in what we do and 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 your message too is that I always tell people that you know because we're helping people grow their businesses. That's what we do, and I always say that there are wonderful systems out there for growing your business that are very proactive. There's things like Scale Up from Bernhardish and EOS and all these structures for actively growing the business. But my approach is always to look for the constraint because I truly believe that if there's, if you have a good idea and you're passionate and you're, you're good to the people around you and you have a product that people want your business and you will succeed, but there's usually something that's like the weights on the ankles. Right. And a lot of times that's the founder. And a lot of times that's personal stuff that's going on. So if you can, you know, unleash them and unlock that uh, potential so much as possible. 100%. Yeah. I mean, even when it comes to exiting businesses, for example, I've worked with two entrepreneurs in the last 12 months who were struggling to see the way forward. In other words, I mean, clarity is a huge, consistent conversation that comes up as it relates to my clients, like just seeking clarity in an area of their life 
to perform better, et cetera. And uh, in this case, both of them were deeply afraid. Their identities were so tied historically in what they had done and what they do that they were scared shitless about selling their business. But the story they told themselves and me was number one, the timing's not right. Number two is the right buyer is not out there yet. I need to continue to grow the business for another five years in order to make it marketable in, in, in the industry. And I call both of them. I call bullshit on both. I said, I just think you're scared shitless. I think you don't deeply do not want to sell this business because you're afraid of the vacuum. And then they said, well, Philip, what will I do next? And I said, my view is you already know what's next, but you're, you, you just don't want to honor that. And lo and behold, both of them walked away with greater exits, more money in their back pocket, and both of them knew exactly what they wanted to do. But the uncertainty, the unknown was more scary than staying somewhere that felt safe yet it was coming at such a tremendous cost to them yeah so i always say that the uh the most difficult decisions at least from in this context i think are not difficult because we don't know the answer they're difficult because we do know the answer exactly people will i, I jokingly say sometimes people will pay thousands of dollars and fly thousands of miles to sit in front of me for the clarity that they don't actually deeply down want that they don't want it that when you get close to uncovering what someone is here to do or some area in their life where they need to pivot or expand or deepen or dive into or commit to further, that's when the real fear comes out and you start to see the resistance and the body language and the, the hesitation and, and everything that they, they do in that moment. Yeah, and so you know, a big thing that we teach is, is this idea of the replaceable founder becoming more replaceable. And even the people that get really excited about that, they're still sort of like a, wait, what a minute, you know, what, what was that that he said? Do you mean irreplaceable? And we really want to make people as replaceable as possible. Not, not so that they can be replaced, not so they can be devalued, but so that they can, if anything, be replaced, you know, to where they should be and what they should focus on. But there's so much ego around that. And I, I, I'm just curious, you know, your take on that idea of replaceability as a, as a business owner, as a, as a, as a friend, as a parent, you know, like all these things, we don't want people, we don't want to become a bottleneck in our lives for people. Well, I mean, I, I live across the road from a, a lovely man called Dave. He's a lawyer and he created this really great document and it allows parents who are maybe making a will. I mean, I've never shared this before. I just came up with your question who, who want to do a will, but want to go beyond creating a will. And they want to basically create almost like a case study of their children. So if, if I die and in my will, are you take my children over, I leave this will with you, uh, to you and this, this declaration or whatever, but this goes deeper into what we want for Charlie, what we want for Maggie or, or you know, our sons and daughters. And he's saying that the reason that people don't take this service and they don't, it's a free service. He built this whole platform is people don't want to consider their kids without them. They, want, they don't want to consider that they're not significant. They don't want to consider that they're irreplaceable at some level. And they, they don't want to consider that they're, they're, they could become irrelevant. The challenge I find as it relates to what you're talking about is that if business owners don't have meaning and real depth of meaning in other areas of their life, they're going to hold on so much tighter to their business and their relevance in their business and their significance in their business um, as opposed to somebody who goes, yes, yeah, shit, I want to be replaceable because you know what? I've got a meaningful relationship at home. I am an amazing father and I'm not just do I know it intellectually, I feel it emotionally. And I've got mountain climbing and I've got a charity and I've got other, in other words, you've got to create meaning on the outside and not just put all of the eggs into your business. And that's where I feel the struggle is for many. So, how, I mean, and, and you, are, you know, you don't, I, I mean, as far as I know, you don't have any formal training, right, in this kind of thing. This is something that you've just sort of learned on the go. So where do you feel like your kind of line of questioning comes from? Like what, what you know, what are you trying to solve for a lot of the times? 
I think for me, I think a lot of my work comes from pain, um, my own personal pain. I, I know what it feels like to spend, you know, 30 so years on this earth being out of alignment. Or the other scary thing is if somebody's sitting going, oh, you know, this is, this is a podcast for people who are out of alignment and need to change. Actually, I've got, I know three people I'm going to forward this to. Uh, this is not for me. But also, I also know what it feels like to feel or to think and to tell yourself you're in a really successful place, that you're building for the future, that when you achieve X, Y, and Z and climb that summit, everything's going to be awesome. And to get to the top of that summit and to be successful, but to miss a sense of satisfaction, to be successful, to not to feel satisfied. I know what that feels like. I know the pain of that. I know the discomfort of that. And what I did, like many people, is I just get super busy again, as opposed to facing, what am I missing here? What have I not seen? What am I not prepared to look at in my life? So I don't just keep repeating the same pattern. It's like somebody who moves into one abusive relationship and another and another and another. We all look at them and say, are they stupid? No, they're not. They're super smart. But there's a part of them that are being attracted to the, the unknown. There's safety in shit to some extent. So my questioning is all about accessing people's truth because I have to go beyond the brain, beyond the intellect, because we are so good at rationalizing and justifying why we have to do X, Y, and Z. I want to strip that away and go beyond that and get to who the, at the essence who you are and how you need to show up in this world in order to impact your life, but also many other people's along the way as a father, as a leader, et cetera. Yeah. And so one of the, uh, I, I always deal with overwhelm, right? Overwhelm is like a big thing that, uh, that, that I deal with. And what I find the sort of extreme version of that is that they get to a place where they feel like no matter what they do, they're disappointing somebody. Right. So if, and, and then it becomes just a game of, or not even a game, but a pretty shitty game of who can they disappoint the least. Right. So no matter what they do, they're either disappointing their family or their friends or themselves or their customers. Uh, and I'm sure you see that quite a bit. All the time. I feel that people who are overwhelmed, there's a number of subtleties that are going on. Sometimes they're running, they're running from something, they're afraid of something. So if they fill the space, then they feel they don't have to, they don't have to experience that. Sometimes it's about control. Uh, the more we live in our heads, the more we're in our minds, the more we feel we're in control of everything around us. Yet to some extent, that's an illusion. Um, and overwhelm is, is built also on expectations. Overwhelming expectations from ourselves as it relates to who we are and how we should show up in the world. Expectations we plant onto our children and our wives and our husbands, spoken and unspoken, not just what, what we say, but what we don't say. And expectations that we've received primarily from our parents um, and that sense of, of letting down. And, and here's one of the scariest things for most entrepreneurs and most driven leaders is they don't want you to reduce the expectations they carry because they're afraid that if you reduce the expectation, you're going to diminish their drive. So for example, a lot of us are in this world are running from what we don't want. If you run towards almost anything on earth, bar a huge bear or tiger, that, that fucker will turn around and he'll run at you and eat you. But typically, if you point at a kid or you point at a woman or you point at a man and you run at it, typically anything you run at moves away from you. Okay. So a lot of us are running from what we don't want. So poverty, for example, I see a lot of entrepreneurs saying, Hey, I grew up like this. I don't want that poverty for my children. My dad was an ass. I'm not going to be an ass. So what ends up happening is we use that as a fuel to change who we are, which sounds brilliant, but it's fundamentally flawed. 
Because what it ends up doing is we end up going the opposite way. The pendulum swings to the other side. We end up doing things that are out of alignment in who we are to make money if we want to avoid poverty. And we try to be a father that we're simply not because we're trying to do the opposite of our dad. So we're almost gone the other way. So my view is to bring you back into the middle and understand what is fatherhood for you? How do you show up in an authentic way and not to worry because that's a negative driving force, not to worry that you're going to repeat history like your dad and not to worry that you're not going to have money is to come back to that place. Because I know men and women that have built entire empires because they didn't want poverty, yet they've built entire empires that in many cases are out of alignment with who they are. Yeah. Um, so and I, I completely resonate with that. Uh, so, so switching gears slightly. So the, the newest book or the new book is called uh, One Last Talk. And the, 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 this came out of, I mean, you just, you took all these people who had never spoken before and took them through this process and, you know, brought the house down basically. So this, this started as an event and now became the book, right? Correct. Um, and so what does the book tell the story, the process, like the, some of the stories that they told, like, what is the idea of one last talk? So basically on an event space, uh, imagine going to an event, um, think about it as a TED event, but it's, it's much deeper in terms of emotionally. TED is about ideas worth spreading. One last talk is about sharing your truth. And sometimes it's the thing you don't want anyone to know about you. It's the thing that you don't think has value. So typically when I ask a speaker to speak, they go, uh, me, really? Now, do you know my friend Ari? Like, I mean, he's got an incredible, like, you should call him. I go, no, no, I called you. I'm sure Ari's amazing and we'll get to him, but I want you. So a lot of us don't value our stories. And there's also an epidemic or a pandemic in this world, as I often say, of loneliness. This feeling that I'm on my own. And I feel that as people share their truth, two things happens. One is they start to own who they are. They start to accept all of who they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it frees them from this burden. And the second thing that happens is that somebody in the audience or somebody on YouTube, or somebody who watches the podcast or listens to it, somewhere in the world goes, holy shit, I'm not alone. That person has experienced what I experienced. If their story mattered to me, maybe my story would matter to somebody else. So it's about sharing your truth. It's about going beyond the story, the success stories. It's about going beyond the Hollywood ending that I made it and this is how I made it. It's about sharing a personal narrative, a deep personal truth in order to save yourself and to some extent reduce suffering in, in society today. Um, and so what, what is that, when you take these people who've never spoken before, like what is the first thing that you do with them, you know, to sort of understand, like, do they choose what they're going to talk about? Like, how does this work? Yeah, they go through a process of, um, you know, through the book. So we basically kind of dialed in a process that we used to run through a speaker workshop. Then we brought that to the book. So what we want is everybody in the world that, ever comes across this to extract their one last talk and deliver it to at least one other human being. Whether they ever choose to stand on stage or not, that's entirely a different situation. It only has power when you share it with one other person. And we've had so many entrepreneurs in recent weeks who did their one last talks through the book and shared it just with their wives, just one human being. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Actually, one of the greatest stories when we were writing the manuscript, we sent it out to 20 people for their review. 10 people who knew me, who, of course, they were all biased and they liked the book and whatever, little tweaks here and there. 10 people who didn't know me. And of those 10 people, two people despised them. They were so angry. They hated the book. We couldn't use any of their feedback because it was so damaged, like so negative. And one of the guys was so mad that he decided, you know what? I'm, I think this guy, McKernan, is so full of shit. I think the one last book is so absolutely weird and, and wrong. I'm going to go through the process and deliver my one last talk to my parents just to prove how wrong this guy is. That, that's a lot Tra of anger. <laughs> a lot of anger. Completely transformed his relationship with his mom and dad. He's now one of our biggest fans. 
In fact, he was instrumental in bringing One Last Talk into an organization. And now we're bringing it to organizations, we're bringing it to the prison system. And also we, we, we want 80, 80, 90% of people who've never spoken on the stage, but we also have speakers. And think about it, some of, the, some of the people that struggle the most with One Last Talk are people who speak a lot because they speak about something that's in their wheelhouse or their expertise or their talent or their gift. Now you're asking them to share a deep personal, personal story or narrative. And you're not allowed to talk about Donald Trump. You're not allowed to talk about global warming. You have to share a part of your truth. And if I could just sum up what One Last Talk is and what it isn't. One man started his One Last Talk at a speaker workshop by saying, it was about alignment and whatever. And he says, you know, there's so many people in the world that are out of alignment in the work they do. I said, no, that's not a one last talk. That's a lecture. What you say is, I spent 15 years of my life out of alignment. And you ask and invite people to journey on the talk with you. You're not there to tell them what to do. And there's no three-step system. So that's what a one last talk is and what, to some extent, a one last talk is not. And in that context, really, what is alignment? You know, I mean, without like being overly obvious, right? Like what, what does alignment really mean for somebody who's listening to this? Yeah. So if I had to sum up, if I had to talk about what I believe on a, on a kind of a, a higher level, I believe that there's, there's so many people in the world that are seeking happiness and fulfillment, yet there's many of us that have allowed ourselves and allow ourselves every day to go to work or to run a business that we don't enjoy. And I'm just saying, manage the expectations accordingly. Don't expect to be happy and satisfied if you're going to work eight hours a day doing something you don't want to do. I believe our joy, our happiness, whatever you want to call it, is derived from three relationships on this earth. The relationship with ourselves, which is the most important relationship. Do we have confidence? Do we have self-esteem, self-worth? Do we value ourselves? The relationship with our loved ones around us. And a lot of us say things like, oh my God, my, me and my wife are amazing. I love my kids and myself. I've never been happier. That might be well, well be true. But what I've found is everybody that's willing to challenge that status quo can go deeper in those relationships. We just haven't necessarily been taught how to do it. And that's where I come in, where I love helping people deepen those relationships, even when they thought it couldn't go deeper. And then the final place is the relationship with the work you do. If you can align meaningful work with who you are and you feel it's an extension of who you are. It's not something that you just go to work and do every day. I feel that your, your fulfillment and your satisfaction on this earth, your sense of meaning and the impact you make all rise at the same time. And that, which is, I mean, incredible. And I, I totally get that about thinking that everything's great. Uh, it's actually really funny. The other, so we always ask people when they come to our website, for example, we say, uh, what's the most frustrating thing about your business? And I had it, usually somebody, you know, give an answer of some sort. There's something, this, that, whatever. Uh, somebody last week was like, everything's good. I was like, we got to talk. <laughs> I was like, I need to get on the phone with you. <laughs> and, uh, and I did. And we found some pretty major issues. Um, and it's just so interesting because I, there's an element of that where you could always say like, oh, it's ego. They don't want to let people know that they're weak or they want to seem strong. But I think that there's just, there's part of it where you're just blind to it somehow. Yeah. I mean, people say to me, you know, my relationship with my kids is amazing. And I go, how do you know? And they'll go, what do you mean? How do I know? You know, it's my, my kids, my life. I go, no, no, seriously, all joking aside, this is not a funny question. How do you actually know? The only way you know is based on historic precedence of what you've seen in the world, historic precedence as it relates to your life, your relationship with your parents. So while your relationship with your kids might be 10x what yours was with your parents, it doesn't mean it's as great as it could be. And I say to people like, your worst case scenario, come and do a workshop with me, come and do a retreat with me. And if you walk away going, that guy's full of crap. But the one thing I know for certain is 
my God, am I on, am I on, am I on the right path? Is my life perfect or what? In fact, I thought I was a nine out of 10. I actually have to work on my McKern and I know I'm a 10 out of 10. That's the worst case scenario for you. But most people are not willing to challenge the stories they tell themselves because they're afraid of facing the, the real truth, which they know deep down is a, is a reality. And one last thing in this area, I did an exercise last week. I, I, I was asked to speak to 35 individuals from 35 different companies in the outdoor industry. And I did a very simple exercise, your greatest personal challenge, sorry, your greatest business challenge as it relates to you personally. So it's not about the, the organization changing. It's about what consistently do you struggle with, whether it's overwhelm or whether it's not being able to say no or whatever it happened to be. On the same page on the other side, I got them to a drawing. What is the greatest personal challenge that you face? And then I got them to look at what are the correlations. And it was staggering. Almost everyone in the room was said, they're actually the same challenge. In fact, my greatest business challenges have all emulate, almost always emulate from your personal challenges. But yet they'd never seen that before. And again, I wanted to give more context, but for saving yeah. time. Saving time here today, I won't get into all the details, but that alone. So they were looking at the organization to change. They were looking at their boss to help them out. They were looking at whatever. But the reality is when they realized through this exercise, the only thing I can fundamentally influence is me. Right. That's, which is hard too. Yeah. So the, the last question I always like to ask on these interviews is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to become more effective? And you can interpret that however you like. I'm not sure I have three um, when it comes to being effective. I get a shit ton of stuff done. I mean, obscene amount of stuff done. And I think that I don't necessarily operate from a place of constant to-do lists. And I think there's pros and cons with that. But I think a lot of what I do and execute is more organic. I allow things to show up. I allow myself to move into projects that I feel more aligned to, which I feel has served me more and more and more. Um, but the one thing that I've done, I've only shared this recently with somebody, and I, I believe this may make sense to you, and I think you'll probably like it as it relates to the work you do, is it's called the power of one more. And there's something I do which is, is so effective, not because I'm smart, but just because I stumbled across this, is that when I want to pull off a project, I just engage one other person in the project outside of my team. So if I want to do a podcast and it scares the shit out of me and I'm pushing it off and pushing it off and pushing it off, I always reach out and find an external expert or somebody, even if they're just on a consultancy basis, even if they're just an accountability, I call it the power of one more. We raised $70,000 to build an orphanage in Peru. I reached out to a client of mine and said, will you sit on the board of advisors just to make sure that everything's legit, that the money goes where it's meant to go. But also really what he did is he kept us accountable. The soon as we bring in the power of one more, everything we do gets done. If we don't have somebody external keeping an eye on us, I'm not saying it won't be done, but it certainly will drag our heels. It is the most effective thing that I have ever brought into our business. And I just simply call it the power of one more. The book, the same thing, Tucker Max. It's not about the writing and the, what they do. It's about the accountability. And it has been absolutely amazing. And I was interviewed recently and someone said, how do you get so much done? You've done a documentary, documentary, power of one more. I brought in one other guy, um, you know, podcast books. And even though I can't, I can't spell, I, I'm dyslexic. I can't even read for that matter. I can barely read, but not great. Power of one more, power of one more, power of one more. That has been hugely important in terms of moving the needle for us. Yeah, I love that. Okay. And, and the final thing is taking space. So people go, hang on, did he not ask about how you become more productive and, and get more shit done or whatever? I go, no, no, no. What you do is you take space. So I take two days, ideally every quarter, minimum every six months. What do I do? Nothing. What do I do? Nothing. What do I plan? Nothing. What do I strategize about? Nothing. 
Is it about ideas? No, if they come, great. It's about space. And there's something about slowing down in order to speed up, which is universal. I'm sure there's great science. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a researcher. But those three things, there I said I didn't have three, and I do have three. Those three things have been absolutely paramount in terms those of getting two. those. Well, the first one is, is not- Power of one. Power of one more, taking space. And the other one is allowing myself to move into things daily that are a bit more organic. Having some plans- we're creating space in the day to play with a project rather than having every minute of my day penciled in. So those are, those are three different ones. Those are amazing. And you know, you never fail to, to continue to be my favorite, honestly. So thank you, Phil, so much for your time. Uh, where can people get the book and find out more about you and your retreats and your coaching and everything you do? Yeah, onelasttalk.com um, is the place. And I would encourage anybody who's even remotely drawn to it to pick up a copy of the book, go through the process. Yes, I would. It is really therapeutic. It's, 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 it's incredible in terms of personal awareness, in terms of what you learn about yourself as a human being and your family and your kids. And then philipmckernan.com is the, the kind of where we do all our kind of coaching and retreats and all that kind of stuff. Great. Thank you so much, Phil. Pleasure as always. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast. At Less Doing, we help entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure can support to set up systems and processes that empower a team to ultimately make themselves more replaceable. That way, they can optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their businesses in order to be more effective. If you want to find out more about Less Doing, the podcast, the blog, the books, and all of the wonderful programs we offer to help you get from where you are to where you know you want to be, Go to lessdoing.com slash podcast and check out our OAO blueprint so you can get started today.